Good morning, everybody. It's Monday, June 8th, and that means it's time for another episode of Chatting with Agnes and Cecilia. I'm Cecilia Sepp. I am the principal and founder of Rogue Tulips. We're a 501c consulting firm, and we also offer association management services and help you with your distinctive projects. And we are, of course, the sponsor of our weekly web series, Chatting with Agnes and Cecilia. And I'm here today with my co-host, Agnes. Hello, Agnes. Would you like to introduce yourself and say hello to everyone? Yes, thank you, Cecilia. My name is Agnes Amos Coleman. I'm an author and a consultant. And thank you to our global audience, wherever you're watching us from. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Over to you, Cecilia. Great. Thank you, Agnes. And we're really excited today to have as our guest, Kimberly Jutsey, who is a fundraising consultant that I met through a networking group for consulting women who work with nonprofit organizations. And our topic today is building trust and collaborative fundraising. So let me throw it over to Kimberly to introduce herself and say hello. Thank you and good morning to both of you as well, as well as all of our viewers. And I'm really excited to be on your show today. So my company, which is Shifting Patterns Consulting, makes it easier for collaborative groups like associations, networks, and coalitions to access funding and other resources that make social impact possible. And before starting my consulting practice, I worked as a fundraiser for nonprofit organizations. And through that experience, I learned that fundraising is really about relationships. And I think most people know that it's really important to have a good relationship with the people who are funding your organization. However, I don't think as much attention goes into the importance of developing collaborative relationships among people inside maybe perhaps networks and coalitions that are looking to raise funds together. So Kimberly, uh, that's a great intro to the topic. So first of all, what's your definition of a collaborative relationship? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so a collaborative relationship, it really has to do with the quality of people's relationships and working with each other. So there's really two dimensions. The first is around the work that needs to get done. And then the second is around how work itself actually gets done. And key to all of that is really about trust. And so collaborative work is really about teamwork and a fundamental building block of teamwork has to do with trust. So what do you think are ways that people who need to work together to fundraise can build trust? Yeah, so um, I think we have an infographic about that, right? <laughs> Actually, we do. Let's go, go to the big board. Here we go. Yeah, so, and, and according to this particular infographic, there are five different ways that groups can build trust in order to work better together around fundraising. And so the first has to do with creating shared experiences. And so this is really about, um, actually, can we, can we? Okay, so are we gonna change that first part? Uh, okay. So Kimberly, you've shared this infographic with us, trust and collaborative fundraising. So could you review for us what are ways people can build trust in collaborative fundraising? Yeah, so as this infographic states, there's five different tips that are helpful to collaborative groups in terms of building trust around um, collaboration and in fundraising. And so the first is really about creating shared experiences. And so this is really an opportunity for collaboration members to get to know each other better and begin to form a bond as part of their work together in fundraising. So one of the ways in which groups can do that is through social activities. So building social activities into their fundraising work. And obviously when, with things going on right now with the coronavirus, there's ways that that can be done online. 
Um, and I'll, I can also give an example of that. I work on the leadership team of an association of businesses. And so shortly after the coronavirus occurred, the very first meeting we had, we actually spent time talking about how is the coronavirus impacting us personally as well as professionally. So the second one is around setting clear expectations. And so a lot of times, a lot of the time when groups come together, the very first thing they want to do is dive into the work that has to get done in terms of being able to raise funds. However, if we don't take the time to actually get clear about how are we going to work together, how are we going to make decisions, how are we going to measure what success looks like, we can end up with a situation where we end up having some misunderstandings and miscommunication, and that can actually make it harder for people to work together. So one example of an agreement that groups can make is perhaps have a decision around maybe one person, one vote in terms of how the work is done in collaboration um, and related to fundraising to prevent maybe if you have a funder that's part of your collaboration from having too much influence over how the work gets done. Mm -hmm. The third tip is around leading by example. And so an important part of trust building is to be able to demonstrate vulnerability. Now, I know there are some people out there that think vulnerability is a sign of weakness. However, it's really a sign of strength. And for people to be able to work well together, it's important for them to be vulnerable with each other. And so going back to the same example of this leadership association that I'm on the leadership team with, we actually took time out of our annual planning session earlier this year to talk about how we can build trust with each other. And one of the ways we built this vulnerability-based trust was actually taking turns, starting with the leader of our leadership team, talking about or actually asking feedback from the group on what's the one thing that he contributed that actually helped make our work successful, and then what was one thing that he needed to change for the good of our team. And then we all took turns doing that. The next tip is around providing the space for open and honest conversations related to fundraising. So one of um, a challenge that actually occurs in collaborative groups around fundraising is oftentimes there's a tension and sometimes even conflict where you have some members that are concerned about losing funding if that funding actually goes to the collaboration instead of to their own organization. So it's important to create the space for members to actually raise this concern when it comes up and then talk about what are some ways that we can solve this that work for everyone. So for example, instead of having a funder having to choose between funding the member of the collaboration or, the, or that actual collaboration, consider going together to that funder to do a, a joint pitch where mm -hmm. the funder is actually encouraged to fund both organizations. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, there's a tip around starting off small and making sh uh, short-term commitments as a way to engage in fundraising. So for example, if your group's new to working together, you don't wanna start off with this huge, complex, long-term fundraising campaign. Make it easier for people to participate. Maybe start off with a smaller scale campaign and then as time goes on and people are um, used to working together and they're more engaged and committed in the work, then maybe grow in scale in terms of your funding efforts. Well, those are great tips and really easy steps to follow. Uh, Agnes, what are your thoughts on this so far? Yes, thank you, Kimberly, for sharing this with us. Uh, my thought on this is that, as you know, the global business environment is struggling tremendously right now as far as you know, uh, funding and resources and really trying to look at ways to either cut staff, forelock staff, or just really looking at ways to manage the, 
the bottom line. And my question to you is, how is the COVID-19 situation actually going to impact how you fundraise for uh, clients who want to use you? Because that's going to be the, the, the direct question. How are we going to get the bottom line? How are we going to get resources? And, and that's really what I want to get so that our global audience can, can get a sense of where your thought process on this. Yeah, that's a great question. And I would honestly say that with COVID-19, collaboration is more important than ever because we really need mm -hmm. to work together to address these kinds of challenges that are related to COVID-19. And in fact, um, we could even point to examples of how this is actually making things, hard, like this virus is actually making it harder. Um, on people, especially people who were struggling before this virus happened. And so there's, I would say there's a more urgent need for funding now more than ever. And yes, this virus has impacted people in ways um, that are making it harder for them financially. But at the same time, I think there are still plenty of people out there that are doing quite well financially and are able to contribute. Um, and I would even talk about institutional organizations like government agencies and foundations that do have money. And a lot of them are actually taking steps to invest in not only addressing the impact of this virus, but I think it's really critical to address the underlying causes or some mm -hmm. of the underlying problems that the virus has actually worsened. Like for example, um, you know, economic inequality. I think that's a great example. So when you were reviewing uh, these five steps, Kimberly, on step two, set clear expectations, you made a comment about not letting one individual uh, really become maybe too influential or too overbearing in a situation like that. Do you have, and, and I think, you know, as Agnes and I have both worked with volunteers, we kind of know what you mean by that. So, um, so what are some tips you could share about how can you manage somebody who might become dominant in a project like that? Yeah, and that's a great point. And so that's why I say it's really important to set clear expectations for how you involve someone. And it's important to be able to do that early on so that everyone's clear about what's expected of them. And I would say it's a two-way street. So obviously you want people that you'll be working with to, to be clear about what you expect from them. But I think it's also important for them to be clear about what they can expect from you. Um, and so I'll give an example. So there was a nonprofit leader of a uh, who was part of a collaboration and there was another member um, of that that was actually a funder and unfortunately the situation came about where the funder basically started treating the other members of the collaboration like subcontractors instead of equal members of the collaboration mm -hmm. and that created a difficult situation unfortunately it also impacted the project mm -hmm. whereas if there had been clarity ahead of time about how are we going to work together some of that could have been addressed and I think that obviously not, we don't always set up collaborations to, to run perfectly the first time around. So if something like this happens, and I would say this is a great opportunity to move on to tip number four, which is having this open and honest conversation about what's happening and talk about what are some ways that we can solve it that works for everyone. Boy, and wouldn't that just really make the world a different place if we actually mm -hmm. just confronted things and discussed it? <laughs> I think I find that in a lot of situations. So, uh, Agnes, did you have any other comments before we move on? 
No, I, I think I like the idea of, you know, setting that clear expectation because that's really what's going to make or break the deal uh, when, when you, I mean, and, and really the bottom line is that it, it, it does resolve and it does help us not to have as much conflict as, 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 as possible within this kind of environment. So definitely that's one that really um, kind of struck, you know, kind of, you know, resonates with me of the importance of setting clear expectations. And I think uh, that's a really good point because that's something, um, actually, Kimberly, that's a great question for you. So when you're creating a fundraising collaboration, uh, do you have job descriptions like people tend to do for other volunteer jobs? Yeah, well, I think it really depends on how people want to work together. And I definitely think there is some usefulness in having job descriptions so that people are clear about what each other is doing. Um, and if you don't want to have job descriptions and certainly have a conversation about what everyone's role is, <laughs> yeah. get clear about that and make sure that everyone understands what each other is doing because then you end up with what I was talking about before where you end up with miscommunication, you end up with misunderstanding, you end up with ball dropping because you think that maybe someone else is doing something when in fact they think that you're supposed to be doing it. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, and isn't that the case in a lot of situations? <laughs> so, well, this is a great infographic. Again, this is called Tips for Building Trust and Collaborative Fundraising, and Kimberly developed this for her group, Shifting Patterns Consulting. So we're going to stop the screen share for now so that we can, we're actually getting really close to ending uh, the episode already. I mean, again, another great guest with a great topic. But Kimberly, I have a question for you. Do you see a difference between fundraising activities for C3 organizations, which are foundations and charities, and C6 organizations, which are trade associations and professional societies? Yeah, that's a great question. And so I think it really comes down to like, what is their funding model? And there's a lot of different models out there. There's really no one best size fits all kind of fundraising model. And so I think really what it comes down to is finding an opportunity for, the, for these groups to really think about what are their fundraising assets. So in other words, what are their strengths? What do they bring that will enable them to raise money more effectively? So for example, it could be that maybe it makes sense for them to focus on dues, or maybe it makes sense for them to focus on foundations or perhaps maybe corporate sponsorships are an answer, or maybe it's some combination of these. And so I think it really, it's, it's important to be strategic in how you approach fundraising and come up with a model that's going to work for you. Mm -hmm. uh, great advice and something we believe in wholeheartedly at Rogue Tulips as well, because we build unique plans for our clients. So, mm -hmm. and unfortunately we are near the end of our episode, so we need to wrap up for today. But Kimberly, we'd love to have you back if you'd like to join us in the future, because uh, I think we could dig in some more into, especially the issue of building trust, because mm -hmm. that's essential for any success. But Agnes, do you have any closing thoughts before we sign off for this week? I just think that Kimberly brings a lot to the table as far as our global association is concerned. And given this business climate, I think she's, you know, we definitely need to hear about how our community can really reach out to her because there's a more need for, for raising funds now than ever. So we would like to definitely uh, ask Kimberly to share her contact details on how uh, our guests and our, our global audience could reach out. Yes, that's a great point. A great segue, Agnes. Uh, so Kimberly, what's the one thought you'd like people to take away today? And then how can they get in touch with you, as Agnes just said? Yeah, so my key takeaway is that Fundraising at the end of the day, it comes down to relationships and 
I would say it's really the quality of our relationships, not just with our funders, but also with each other that really determines the results that we get. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, we really need to focus on trust because that's the starting block. That's the basic building block of how we work well together. And I would say the best way to get in touch with me is through my website, which is Shifting Patterns. So www.shifting-patterns.com. And in fact, on that website, if you're really interested in learning more about that topic, I actually have a report that talks about collaborative approaches to fundraising. And it goes into much more detail about the topic we talked today. And it also includes a lot more tips for groups that want to work well together or make it easier uh, to be able to access funding. And in fact, um, I would also, one last thing, um, if you're interested in having a conversation with me to talk more about your situation and get help with collaborative fundraising, there's also a link on my website where you can schedule a free consultation. Oh, that's excellent. Well, that's great, Kimberly. Thank you so much for joining us today. Unfortunately, we have to go rogue for now, but we'll be back next week with another guest and interesting topic. And once again, thanks to Kimberly Jutsey of Shifting Patterns who uh, can help you with your fundraising. So thanks again, and we will see you all next week, everyone. Bye for now. Thanks for having me. Bye. You're welcome. Thanks for coming.